Good morning. It's so wonderful to see all of you here in worship this morning, especially pleased to see anyone who might be visiting with us. We wish you a happy, blessed Advent. We hope that you'll come again. Our scripture this morning is selected verses from Genesis chapter 2 and Romans 8. Uh, Last week, I shared selected verses from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In it, we heard that God created a perfect, blessed creation, that God created us in his own image and likeness and gave us the responsibility of caring for his perfect creation, that God created a garden for us to live in and a tree of life to eat from. And as long as we ate from that tree, we would live forever. We did mention in passing another tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that tree, humans were not to eat. Beginning with verse one of chapter three of the book of Genesis. The snake said to the woman, did God really say, that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, we may eat the fruit of the tree, garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The the woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband. God called to the man, where are you? The man replied, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid and I hid myself. He said, did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? God said, because you ate from the tree, cursed is the fertile land because of you. In pain you will eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow from you even as you eat the field's plants. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land. Since from it you were taken, you are soil. To the soil you will return. And from Romans 8, the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our theme for this Advent and Christmas is evergreen, taking inspiration from the decor that we see everywhere during the Advent and Christmas season. Evergreens of pine, spruce, fir, juniper, holly are everywhere, beautiful and fragrant. 
uh, in the forms of wreaths, in the forms of Christmas or Christmas trees, anywhere that we have decked our halls for the season. I shared with you last week that that tradition comes from the north, where during the winter months, much appears to be dead. It's darker. The days are shorter. Much that is alive is covered in blankets of snow and ice. Many of the trees have lost their leaves. The only signs of life in the north in the winter are the evergreens. And so for, long time, for a long time, the evergreen has been a symbol of life in the midst of darkness. Hope that spring will come again. And for those of us in the church, Christians, the evergreen is a symbol of Christ through whom all things were made, who took on human created flesh to be our redeemer. And so again, I'll remind you, last week we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, specifically talking about the Garden of Eden, where you and I were intended to live forever, a paradise where you and I were given responsibility to care for God's good creation. And there was a tree of life that we could eat from, and as long as we ate from it, we would live forever. That was God's intent, that we live eternal lives. Now, there was this other tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I should remind you, there's nothing in the text that says the tree of knowledge of good and evil was an evil tree. There's nothing that says it's bad. In fact, the snake says God knows good and evil. Nothing necessarily wrong with the tree. We just weren't allowed to eat from it. It just wasn't intended for us. Can you imagine a world where we only had one rule to live by? Just don't eat that particular fruit. Wouldn't it be great? Except we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve looked at the tree and seeing that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom, she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now let's not be too hard on Adam and Eve. Of course, they represent us. They're meant to be metaphors representing all of humanity. If we were in their place, we would have done exactly the same. Now God had warned them, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, meaning that they would become mortals, meaning they would be cut off from the tree of life and its life-giving fruit. We call this theologically the fall, meaning that we've fallen so far from the creation and the caregivers of creation that God intended us to be. When God discovered their violation, he banished them from the garden. They would quickly discover life outside the garden was tragically difficult. They were created to work, to care for God's creation, but now creation would be at odds with them, making their work more difficult, more frustrating, and often fruitless. What had been equality between men and women in the garden now would turn into male domination and patriarchy. The pleasure of sex and bringing children to the world would now be tainted by the pain of childbirth. And daily, 
not receiving the fruit of the tree of life. They would be reminded that they are mortal. One day they would die. From ashes and dust you have come, to ashes and dust you shall return. But it wasn't just the humans who struggled in this life outside of Eden. It says in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the fertile land because of you. Because of their sin, creation was cursed. Paul echoes this in Romans 8. The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it. But in the hope that creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children, we know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains until now. Creation is suffering from the fall. Creation has suffered because of those whom God had charged with the responsibility to care for creation, and yet we are the ones who have abused it. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the fertile land because of you. Romans 8.22, all creation is groaning. And these aren't just theological statements. Read the paper. Look on the internet. Listen to the news. Creation is groaning in decay. Globally, temperatures are rising, causing extreme weather, rising sea levels, and melting glaciers. As we speak, tropical rainforests are on fire. We need the rainforests to produce the oxygen we breathe. Daily, over 1,500 different species of plant, insect, bird, and mammal become extinct. Scientists say there have been five mass extinctions in the history of the planet and that we are currently in the sixth. And all of this impacts most directly the poorest of the poor who often live most closely to the land, depending on the land, depending upon creation, trying to scratch out an existence from depleted, polluted soil lacking the basic clean water that is needed, often the recipients of our garbage, the aftermath of our waste. God always hears the cries of the poor. Scientists say that we may be at a climate tipping point. In just the last couple of weeks, National Geographic, the journal Nature, and CNN have all reported that we may be at a point of no return that systems within the natural environment are collapsing, cascading, creating an apoplectic effect as one falls apart, the next falls with it, each impacting the next, that there may be destruction done to our natural world that is irreversible. Creation, Paul says, is groaning. Why? Because humans aren't caring for the created world. Instead, we are responsible for its destruction. Excessive carbon emissions, deforestations, overdevelopment, pollution, waste. 
over and over, taking more and more and more to meet our every desire, not thinking about what the long-term impact might be. Because often where we take it from is out of sight and out of mind and also the place where we return our garbage. Creation groans. Poisoned rivers are groaning. Polluted oceans are groaning. Species of life, large and small, struggling to survive are groaning. Over-farmed lands are groaning. Melting ice caps are groaning. The poorest of the poor are groaning. All creation groans. Do you hear it? Well, that's all pretty depressing, huh? I mean, some of you might be thinking, good grief, it's Christmas. What's he talking about the environment for? I mean, shouldn't we be talking about, about a baby? Everybody loves a baby, and it's so cute he was born in a manger. I mean, I mean, shouldn't we be talking about a virgin mother and a doting father? Shouldn't we be talking about shepherds out in the field and angels flying above singing glory to God in the highest? Shouldn't we be singing about love and joy and peace on earth? Well, friends, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because that little baby that we talk about this time of year was God's promised Savior. Think about that word, Savior. Why would we need God to send a Savior if the world didn't need saving? Savior for whom? Savior of what? Savior for what? Well, our sin, of course. And is there any example in all of history, in all of the created world, that's a more tangible expression of our collective sin than what we are doing to God's creation? There are other examples for sure. But this one is staring us right in the face. And lest we forget, at Advent, we believe that the creator became the created that he took on human flesh, that he too became dependent upon his creation as we are, needing water to drink and air to breathe and the fruit of the earth to feed him. Advent is when we longingly anticipate the coming of the one who will save us. But save us from what? And for what? Romans 8, 19 through 22 again says, the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. The whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains until now. Well, friends, who are these sons and daughters of God if not us? And how will we be revealed to the groaning creation if not through our actions, through our commitment to the creator whom we worship? Creation is groaning loudly to get our attention. Wildfires, hurricanes, floods, droughts meant to awaken us to our responsibility, to capture our attention. 
Jesus was once asked, what's the most important thing for your followers? What's the thing that will make them stand out in the world? He said, well, love. That's the greatest commandment, to love. Love God and love neighbor. We know that. But how can we possibly claim to love God while we destroy what God has made? How can we claim to love the creator and fail to do what he created us to do? How can we claim to love our neighbor when we ignore that the whole world is our neighbor? This week I was asked a question. I've been asked in a, in a thousand ways, a thousand times. The question basically was, how do I know the difference between when to act on my own and when to pray and leave it to God? Lots of us struggle with that. I was reminded of St. Augustine saying, pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. One example of this, of course, is the fall itself. We couldn't save ourselves from the fall. We needed a savior to do that. The savior came and he lived among us. He demonstrated for us who God is, the love of God in action among us. But then he gathered followers. He gathered those who would continue the work when he was done. And he promised, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these. I will do whatever they ask in, their, in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. You see, friends, he continues the work in us. God provided the Savior, but the Savior came to invite us to participate in what God is doing in the world. He gave us his Holy Spirit to live in us. He gave us the church so that we could do this together. Teresa of Avila says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hand through which he blesses all the world. The question is, do, do we pray to God to do it or do we do it ourselves? The answer, of course, is both. I, I know that a lot of this conversation about the environment gets lost in, in politics and which side are you on and, and, and which party you belong to. But friends, I believe this is a deeply spiritual conversation. That if it's not those who worship the creator who care most for creation, then who will? Joan Chittister writes, the quality of life we create around us as followers of Jesus is meant to seed new life, new hope, new dynamism, the very essence of a new world community. No exception is made for anyone. None of us, however isolated from the rest of life, is forgiven the responsibility. Let me call your attention to a passage that we often read this time of year. It's probably on one of your Christmas cards. Isaiah eleven six: the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, this is the image of what he came to do, to create a world of peace. 
where even in the natural world, the herbivore and the carnivore lie in peace with one another, that there might be shalom in every corner of the world. And what of that tree of life? We were cut off from it, but whatever happened to it? It says in Revelation that there will be a river of life. And on each side of the river is the tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. That's the promise of God, that the tree of life is evergreen. The promise of a Savior come to save us is evergreen, even 2,000 years after his birth. The promises of God for this, his creation, that it might be redeemed are evergreen, even as we face a global crisis. If, if God's sons and daughters will be revealed by their actions. Lisa and Shara Harper writes from Genesis to Revelation, The rest of Scripture is the story of God's work to redeem the very goodness of all creation, to restore shalom on earth, all through the power of radical love. That love has the power to touch and heal every corner of our lives and our world. Radical love. Isn't that really what this is all about? Isn't that really why the Savior came? Because of God's radical love for us? Isn't that what Advent and Christmas are meant to tell us and remind us again? Friends, maybe during this season of Advent and Lent, we need to be reminded of God's radical love. Perhaps this season of the world's history, we need to be reminded of God's radical love. Perhaps in this moment in the church's history, we need to be reminded of God's radical love. Perhaps you and I need to be known as people of radical love. Our own radical love for the creator, our own radical love for his saving son, our own radical love for this creation. May we be known as people who put that radical love into action before it's too late. Listen, listen. Creation is groaning, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Listen. Do you hear it? 